Last week, Pete started us off on a new series um, on the book of Psalms, and he, um, led a, he walked us through Psalms 23, and this morning, we're going to be taking a look at Psalm 27. Um, and I'm excited. I believe God is going to speak to us, and so um, just come with open heart, and uh, let's listen, shall we? Um, Jesus, come. We need you. Amen. Amen. Um, do you guys ever, do you, do you remember a point in time where you first felt homesick? Um, I remember the first time I got this feeling of anxiety and fear um, because I was homesick, and that was in my first day of kindergarten. Um, maybe some of you can relate to this, but my parents dropped me off at kindergarten and they put me in the middle of this classroom with all these kids that I didn't know and I was a little bit overwhelmed. And, and as I'm looking around, I, I start to notice that my parents are like slowly walking out the door and I'm like, hang on. Where are you guys going? And so I like dash out the door, and my parents grab me, and they start pushing me back into the classroom. And then the teacher runs out, and she's like, oh, no, like, you're going to stay. Like, don't worry. It's going to be okay. And I'm like, you're a liar. <laughs> and so I start kicking and fighting. And, the, and there was this fear that just, built, that just like, kind of built up within me, uh, this fear of um, not being able to go back home. And I also remember another time... And again, when I was younger, um, getting dropped off at kids' church, and same thing. I was terrified. I started kicking the, the kids' workers, which our kids don't do that, which is amazing. Um, but I hated being far from home as a kid. Um, and what's interesting about the book of Psalms is this is written to a people who were far from home. This Psalm 27, this Psalm that we're going to be looking at specifically, was written by David. Um, he was a famous Israelite king. Maybe you've seen his statue before um, with his, you know, ripped abs and huge biceps. That's the one we're talking about. Um, but he was the famous Israelite king who spent some time on the run as a fugitive. He was wrongly accused by those who were closest to him. And he was, in a sense, exiled from his home and his family. He was far from home, um, and he experienced this for a while. He fled for his life, and in fleeing for his life and being far away from home, David sought the presence of God in a foreign place, in the wilderness, in another country, in places that were far from home. David sought out God. And the original Jewish audience a people who were also in exile, who had everything taken from they were them. They were deported from their homeland um, and taken to Babylon. They had everything taken from them, their land, their culture, their temple. And they would read this psalm, and like David, they would seek after God's presence in Babylon, in a foreign land. That's like the equivalent of us getting put on a ship and going to North Korea. Like everything you love is just taken from you. Like no coffee shops, no, you know, Netflix, no Instagram, no Amazon. 
like everything just taken from you. This is what they experienced. And this is the lens that we need to have when we read Psalm 27. And, and so as I read, I want us to just use our imagination. Um, you can imagine yourself as David who's on the run or as a Jewish woman or man who has been deported and has lost everything and you're just aching to be home again. Imagine being caught in the tension between wanting to go home but being confident that God would intervene somehow where you're at. See, home for them was being near the temple, near the tangible presence of God where everything felt safe and everything felt right. And so here we go, Psalm 27, verse 1. Again, let's put this, this lens on and let's, let's read this with um, the understanding that this, these people are far from home and, and they don't know if they're ever going to go back. So let's take a, a listen. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling, he will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock." Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. See, the Psalms work the same way for us as they did for the original audience. The exiles had no temple, they had nowhere to physically meet with God, and so in reading the Psalms, they became literary temples, places where they met with God and sought him, and there's been some theological progression, obviously because of Jesus, um, but I'll come back to those details later. But I want to point out two things from this Psalm that were essential for David when he wrote this and are just as essential for us. See, in the middle of this prayer song of confidence, there is a desperate plea for God's presence. 
But then it concludes with a sobering exhortation to wait. Um, the, first, the first point I want to talk about is um, seeking. David says, I will seek your face. Um, Ashley and I, we've been married for almost three years, um, which has been fun. And I remember after meeting Ashley and having our initial conversations, I thought to myself, wow, this girl is amazing and I need to see more of her often. But here's the thing, whenever you're interested in someone, the question you've got to ask yourself is, how can I show interest without looking like a creep? <laughs> um, here's the thing, I completely bypassed that internal conversation. <laughs> and I would, I would camp out and do homework at the places that I knew she would be at often. And so she'd walk into Cafe Vita and I'd, I'd be there and she'd be like, hey, and I'd be like, hey, you're here. <laughs> Welcome, hello. Never thought I would have seen you here. That's amazing. Um, you love Cafe Vita, so do I. Um, but yeah, this is how I got to see her more often, and then thankfully she didn't think I was a creep, and here we are three years later, we're married. Um, but looking back, I can obviously, you know, see how creepy that could have been, um, I'm glad she still married me, but I was interested in getting to know her, um, so I looked for opportunities to be with her, to be known by her, to know her, um, and that's a terrible illustration of what verses four and five are talking about, but you can kind of get the idea. Um, Psalms four and five say, um, David talks about seeking the presence of God or dwelling in the house of the Lord and Let's be real, we can get lost in the language of the Bible sometimes. Um, the word seek feels a little medieval, medieval or Games of Thrones-ish. Um, but the idea this communicates is timeless. You see, it speaks of dwelling in God's presence, a pulling away or retreating from the pressures and distractions of our day-to-day -to, -day to spend moments with God. Psalms 27 reads, I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. And the literal house of the Lord was a temple in Jerusalem. Um, it was an exclusive place that was divided into sections called courts. And the tangible presence of God was at the center of the temple. Furthest from the center was a section for immigrants and Jewish women. Closer to the center was the area for full-blooded Jewish males. And then at the center where the presence of God was, um, where the presence of God was, only a Jewish high priest would be able to enter the presence of God once a year. This was all pretty exclusive simply because of the nature of humanity. See, but then Jesus shows up on the scene and completely breaks down every wall, every barrier to the tangible presence of God and opens a way for literally anyone and everyone to experience his presence. At Jesus' death, the Gospels record that, that the curtain separating God's presence was literally torn in two, a sign that the presence of God is no longer exclusive, but that anyone can experience the presence of God. 
You see, and after Jesus' resurrection, the Spirit was poured out on his followers. And so now, followers of Jesus, we are the new temple. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And part of God's gentle and respective characteristic is that he doesn't force himself on anyone. See, we're free to seek him as much or as little as we'd like. And I think many of us have the intent to seek him, to frequent his presence often. But there are two things in particular that I think keep us from doing so. And the first is shame and guilt. It's the feeling that we're not good enough. And I think we carry a list, of po- a, a list in our pockets of things that we've done wrong in relationships, in thought, things we do to ourselves that are destructive. We build up an inventory, and while the curtain in the temple has been torn in two, we have that Excel sheet of all the things we've done wrong that are keeping us from experiencing the presence of God, from dwelling with him freely. We feel like we don't measure up. We compare ourselves only to feel alone and worthless. We feel like we're not good enough. And here's the good news. You're actually right. We're not. We've never been good enough. We've never measured up. And that's why Jesus came. See, Jesus came to take away the guilt and the shame and replace it with confidence in the work of Jesus. See, we're comparing ourselves to others, people who are also broken. But Jesus comes to bring wholeness, to bring healing, to bring restoration, to bring, um, to bring a right relationship with us and God and we can, so that we can seek God and dwell in his presence freely. Not based on anything we've done, not based on, you know, how many boxes we've checked off or how many, you know, old women we've helped cross the street. You know, not based on any of that, simply based on the work of Jesus. You see, what Jesus has done completely overshadows anything we've ever done or ever will do. See, so those feelings of guilt and shame and the thought that we're not good enough, we can just take that and just leave it with Jesus. See, we should just leave those feelings with God and enjoy dwelling in his presence freely. I love what um, the author Richard Foster says about dwelling in God's presence and prayer. He says this. I think he sums this up really well. He says, we will never have pure enough motives or be good enough or know enough in order to pray rightly. We simply must set all these things aside and begin praying, begin dwelling in the presence of God, begin seeking God. In fact, it's the very active prayer itself, the intimate, ongoing interaction with God, that these matters are cared for in due time. See, so those things that we keep carrying around with us that we think separate us from God, God's going to take care of those things. 
God's going to take care of those details that we, that we hang over ourselves. God's going to take care of that. He simply wants us to just come and be with him, to just sit with him, to, to, to listen, to, to share our thoughts, to share our fears, to share our dreams. God wants us to experience that with him. You see, David was described as a man after God's own heart, but he was far from perfect. He killed so many people, honestly. I don't have no, I have no idea. There's a scripture that tells us in this TMI, there's a scripture that tells us that David collected 200 foreskins. So just, that's the kind of guy David was. Um, but yet God was with him powerfully. And so there's nothing that, that, that separates us from God. See, Jesus broke down every barrier, every wall, every curtain. Every, he, he crossed off every list. We're good. And the second, thing that I, the second thing that I think keeps us from seeking and dwelling in God's presence is distraction. We're all distracted by something, whether it be the pressures of work, the challenges in our families, finances. I know the cost of living in LA is ridiculous and they can take up much of our headspace. But on a lighter note, things like social media and Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu, Catch-22. Um, I just watched that show. It's great. Um, but these things are a huge distraction for many. And when we're constantly flooded with these distractions, we don't allow for God to have much room to interrupt our day with his thoughts. And his thoughts towards us are always loving. They're always good. Psalms 139 says this. It says that his thoughts for you outnumber the sand on the beach. And it outnumbers the stars in the sky. See, if these are the thoughts God has for us, then I think it would be good to make room for him to meet us where we're at. See, and this will look different for all of us. Dwelling in his presence means a pulling away from the distractions for a moment to simply be with Jesus. Have you ever noticed that you feel much better after being in God's presence? Maybe it's after praying here or after taking a couple minutes in your day to just pray or to just even think about Jesus or or what God is doing in our church. Um, have you noticed that you feel a little bit better after? See, it's not that these distractions or pressures go away, but they simply fall back to where they belong, under the authority of Jesus. See, when David writes that he wants to dwell all the days of his life, he doesn't mean every second of every day. See, the truth is, we can't neglect our responsibilities, but rather engage with God in the midst of them. See, what David means, he, what, what David means is frequently seeking the presence of God. This is our goal. It's to dwell in the presence of God as frequently as we can, even if it's just for a minute. This will change how we view the world 
how we engage with others, how we do what we do. See, when we dwell in the presence of God, even for a minute throughout the day, everything around us benefits. And I don't think we can afford not to do this because this is the kingdom. This is essential for what God is doing on earth. And so follow that internal conversation with the spirit. David writes, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. And God speaks to us using our thoughts. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but just bear with me. But have you ever had a thought that just comes in your head and you ask yourself, well, where did that come from? Was that me or was that God? And I think that's a good question to ask. Um, Dallas Willard says, the thought is ours, but it doesn't originate with us. The thought is ours. We think it, we hear it, but it doesn't originate with us. And this is a silent conversation between us and God that comes from seeking his presence often. And I, I, I try to make time for this every morning. Um, I'll read a bit of my devotional, which I've never been too fond of devotionals. I think there's some really whack ones out there. But this one that I'm reading right now, it's called Hearing God by Dallas Willard. It's phenomenal. I recommend it. Um, it's a short little book, literally a small paragraph a day. Um, and that's been just so refreshing for me. Um, but I'll, I'll take a minute and, and I'll read that at the start of my day. Or um, a, a passage from, you know, the Bible that I get emailed to my phone um, I'll take a minute and I'll, and I'll read that. And then throughout my day, I'll come back to that thought. I'll come back to that word. And, and I'll just kind of just meditate on it. I'll chew on it. I'll, I'll just think about it throughout my day um, and just let it resonate with me. And I think, I think this is what God is after. A few weeks ago, I was, um, I was listening to a worship song in the car and there's a lyric that says, I need you. And, and, and it, it repeats it. And if I was a good singer, I'd sing it for you, but we'll just, you can just, no. <laughs> if I had a great voice, I would. Um, but I've listened to this song so many times. But this time, I, 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 as I was listening, I had this internal thought, this silent conversation. Um, and the words I heard were, you don't have to do this on your own. You don't have to do this on your own. And in that moment, I, I submitted to those words. And I, as I did, I just felt this weight just come off my shoulders and I was compelled to just trust Jesus, to trust him with all those things that I've been striving for in my own ability And this is something I try to do day to day. See, the spirit is personal. And he wants to speak to you, not just about your vision or your career or your relationships, but also about you. He wants to encourage you. He wants you to know how much he loves you, how he believes in you, how he cares for you. Um, he wants to heal you. He wants to guide you. He wants 
to take the weight of those things that we're so burdened by. You see, when we live in this closeness with the Spirit, we get to participate in what God is doing, which is really cool. It's exciting. And his work of redeeming and creating and restoring, and all of this happens as we just freely dwell with him. The next point um, that I think this psalm is emphasizing is waiting. Um, and I, I don't think it's a coincidence that we heard that prophetic word this morning. Um, but have you noticed that we hate waiting? Whether it's Netflix or Instagram or Amazon packages, Instagram was down for like an hour this week and everyone was losing their minds. <laughs> and I just ordered a, after, after the earthquake, I ordered a, um, it, it was like a hand crank, solar powered, like radio with a charger and a flashlight, this like bundle of thing. And it says it was getting here on Tuesday. And I was like, hang on, what if there's an earthquake tomorrow? Like, I can't wait till Tuesday. Um, but the, but we, we hate waiting. We hate waiting. We live in a culture that wants to be satisfied immediately. And, and the wisdom of the scriptures um, says it's good to wait. See, this psalm ends with an exhortation to wait. And the original audience was living in conditions that are far less than ideal. And I think sometimes we can relate to that. Maybe you find yourself in a place that is less than ideal. Could be a difficult job, a challenging relationship, an uncertain future, or an illness. And the Psalms recognize this. The Psalms recognize that this is often our experience and instead of withdrawing or um, or discrediting the, the weight of it, it invites God in the experience, in the midst of it. And the older I grow, and I'm still very young, um, but I realize how much we don't actually control. See, waiting on God feels like the most passive and least fulfilling thing you can do as a Christian, but it's the most assuring thing. It's assuring because we can be confident that God is working even if it seems like he's not. I love what this commentator writes, and I don't have his or her name, but they write this. They say, waiting on God is a biblical virtue. Waiting on God is associated with patience, resignation, submission, dependence, and contentment with a less than ideal current state. Also, don't we just hate those words? Patience, submission, dependence, contentment. We're, we're conditioned to resist this type of, uh, of lifestyle. Anyways, that's my two cents. Um, but waiting on God is, waiting for God to act is an implied withholding 
of human exertion, a trust in God rather than human means. It's pretty good. See, biblical waiting is not laziness or inactivity. Biblical waiting is being faithful where you are and trusting God in the midst of it. And I think waiting is a form of resisting. It's resisting the urge and the cultural norm to do things our own way and lead our own lives. On the other side of waiting is the best outcome imaginable. And failing to wait could cost so much more. You see, in our less than ideal current state, this psalm encourages us to wait on God and to seek and dwell in his presence. And so if you find yourself in a period of waiting, you know that it's not easy. It can take everything in you to make it through the day. For those that are waiting on God, I, I want to say that your patience and your faithfulness even in the midst of your frustration that doesn't go unnoticed or unrewarded. See, from experience, I can tell you that it's better to wait on God than to manipulate a circumstance on your own. And if I'm honest, I feel like I'm in a period of waiting. And God sees my range of emotions on a bad day, but I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. See, the reason we can endure the weight is because we're confident in what this psalm says. It says, we will see the goodness of the Lord. All waiting will come to an end and we can experience the goodness of God in the meantime. See, waiting is hard, which is why the psalm ends with an exhortation that is given to troops before battle. The psalm ends with an exhortation given to troops. This is how hard waiting is. Waiting is so hard, you need to hear some words that men who are prepared to go fight and die would hear. You see, the psalm reads, be strong and take heart. See, in your waiting, be strong. Take heart. His spirit is for you in the waiting periods. And you can experience his strength and love and peace as you dwell in him. So as I was preparing for this talk, I, I was praying and I, I said, Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? And I felt, I felt these words just come to me. Um, and the words were, if they seek me, I will meet with them. If they seek me, I will meet with them. Again, that's reiterating what Jesus says. Seek and you will find. Ask and you will have knock and the door will be open, that passage. Um, can't remember exactly what the words were, but you get the idea. <laughs> um, ask and it will be given to you. There you go. Um, 
yeah. And so if I can just have the band come up. Um, and if we can stand, I, as, we, um, as we end, I, I want to just invite you I want to invite us into a time of just seeking and listening. Um, in a second, we're going to open up the floor, but, but right now, I just, I just want us to have that internal conversation. What is, what is God saying? And then at the end, we'll have a time for prayer. Um, but as a, as a song begins, um, I just invite you to that.